What is the philosophy of the show? Um, it's kind of like trailer trash, trailer park trash. What is this trailer trash? It's kind of like, I guess, like backwoods from like, um, just like middle of nowhere, kind of poor, dressing what you have around. Also, they are very primitive, rubbish people. Kind rubbish. of, yeah. So, tell me, do you hope that these white trash, trashing people will buy the clothes? I don't think they can oh, afford I'm from New York. Oh. <laughs> across a lot of people who are not from here, but who are from other parts of the world, who really have absolutely no fashion sense. Yes. There's no personal style. Why don't you just put them on train, send them to a camp, and say bye bye? I would love to say bye bye. <laughs> Hello. Hello and welcome Hi. to the show. Welcome to Question Block. Hi, Anna of Chelsea. Welcome Hello. to the Question Block. So this week we are talking about fashion. Yeah, and we are live at Fashion Week. We are your hosts. This is Aerialist. Yeah, the runway model, famous mega superstar model, Aerialist. And the famed fashion designer from the House of Wires. <laughs> Dr. Wires from the House of Wires. Wires? Wires. German fashion design. <laughs> it's very strict fashion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this week, uh, Alex and Ariel here at Question Block, we're going to be talking. We have some uh, expert guests who are coming mm -hmm. on to talk about certain periods of fashion. We did some research about the birth of fashion all the way up through modern day streetwear. And so let's get into it. Yeah. Would you like to start? <laughs> yeah. So we're going to do it sort of chronologically. Um, and so we'll, we're going to first take it back to the uh, mid-1700s, which is the start of basically uh, fashion trends. The idea of having like clothing going in and out of style. Really? That far back? What? Yes. The trends were, were invented by uh, Louis XIV. So Louis XIV, oh. when he was young in the early 1700s, uh, France was very like tumultuous period. There were a lot of like rebellions trying to take power from the monarchy. And so kind of he grew up seeing that like the, the peasants and the nobles didn't respect the king and kept trying to overthrow the king. So when he took power, <laughs> he enacted this. They're not sure if it was a brilliant plan or if the man just loved fashion. Probably both. <laughs> probably both. But he enacted a plan that both was fashionable and devious, uh, whereby uh, he moved his court to Versailles, like a... A, like an hour like carriage ride out of the city of Paris. Um, and then uh, to have any power in the government, you had to be at court. You had to move to Versailles and live there. And then he threw endless, like every week, costume balls and parties and stuff. And so, and then insisted on this really like elaborate scheme of court etiquette and fashion, having like unique outfits and you, they needed to be stellar, uh, crazy expensive outfits. And so all the nobles to keep up move there uh and join us on insta you, you yeah. can see our yeah our we cool see background. we see your your request we're just doing yeah. a little 
little we, background. We do see requests. We do a little background to set you up to then inform yeah, us. Yeah, it's a layup. Um, it's a layup. Yeah. So, uh, so he put everyone in debt. All the nobles basically went massively into debt, buying all of these crazy outfits and attending these crazy parties. And the only way you could get out of debt was to get a loan from the king. And he would only give you a loan if you had been at court. So created this and had been, like attended all of his parties. That's... God, that's making a resurgence. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're like, sounds like some, some parties and social scenes yeah. that I know. Um, yeah, so it, it worked great. The nobles were like constantly bankrupt, in debt to the king, and they were way too busy trying to like manage their way out of bankruptcy to stage a rebellion. Um, and then along the way, he developed all sorts of very cool styles. So he actually invented wearing red heels, not Louboutin. Uh, oh. So he and one of the very famous portrait of him um, from, I forget exactly, I think 1750 or something. They're about, he's wearing uh, some strappy shoes with red heels. And he's showing his calves off. <clears throat> he's like, show, look at my really calves. Really off his calves. Yeah. And then he, uh, also like, even like William of Orange absolutely hated him, was like the king of the Dutch. <laughs> William of Orange had to also wore red heels. Like every like, <laughs> noble person in, in Europe had to like, follow the court styles of Louis XIV. Because even if you hated him, the man had fashion. Yeah. Um, so anyway, why did the nobles all go into debt? Because clothing isn't that expensive now. <clears throat> well. And, well, it can be. as we yourself. will yourself. will say, hot couture yeah. is priceless, darling. Um, yeah. But uh, little historical economic society here is the, the, during the Middle Ages and even through the 1700s, uh, most clothing was made from spun wool. Right, and so to get wool, the sheep were smaller then. The sheep we have today have been bred to be much larger than they used to be. So back then they had small sheep. The wool wasn't as good. So you need to have lots of sheep. Um, once you raise them, it took the equivalent. You had to like spin the the wool into thread. Then the thread had to be woven into like fabric, and then the fabric had to be sewn. So it uh, they like. I, economists are really interested by this. And so it took the equivalent of about 700 hours to make a shirt. Oh my God. Um, which a minimum wage comes out to like $5,000 to make a shirt. Um, so clothing in today's dollars. So clothing yeah, was, I was like, that today's bad. dollars was $5,000. <laughs> so no one had shirt. clothes. <laughs> so, well, that's, you would have even like, yeah. So back then you would just have your shirt. You would have the shirt that you wore uh, until it was pretty much worn out. And then you would cut it up to, and, make it into clothing for your kids. When it was totally worn through, you turn it into rags to use around the house because fabric was so expensive. And when that was done, the rag and bone man was an actual job and a person would come by to collect your rags to be turned into paper because they still didn't have like pulp mills back then. What? So a lot of paper was made out of fabric. Um, so even that's also why books were super expensive before pulp novels and making paper got very cheap. And that also kind of explains all of like the history of slavery in the Americas because cotton was a super valuable crop because you didn't have to raise sheep to grow wool. Um, so fashion really influences everything and is the root of history. So I have a question. Yeah. The, yes, that is how the rag and bone store that is got, how rag and bone got its name from the rag and bone man. And he, bones were also very useful if you couldn't use them. So, wait, okay. Next stock. <laughs> I have a question. Mm -hmm. um, so, were there always designers or like who is, who is making the clothes? So this is, uh, yeah, all, all of these jobs that were kind of done in the home, basically any work that wasn't farming was done by women. 
Um, so beer making, baking. But what about the clothes? Clothing. Okay. okay. Although spinning was done by women, um, primarily unmarried women, which is where the term spinster comes from. Oh, yeah, and Rumpelstiltskin, too, was yes. like... He was like a spinster. Well, he could, what, spin <laughs> flax into gold, something? Yeah. But yeah, he was a spinner. So spinning was mostly done by women. Looms were very complicated and difficult to operate, and that was men's work. So weaving was done by men. But I forget what I read. It would take like six weeks to do a 22-yard-long bolt of fabric. Wow. Um, so just incredibly labor-intensive but who stuff. But was, who was like, so, then, the, so like a woman would just like make her family's clothes basically and then yeah there'd be just someone in your village like there there was the idea of like a seamstress or a tailor right the, like those existed but mostly it would be yeah some family member would do all the sewing in your family and it was like you know a full-time job basically to keep like a, a family's clothes in good repair because you only had one set so when they wore out you've like patched your stuff up and then the clothing wasn't made to fit really the whole idea of like sizes didn't really exist <laughs> uh, throughout the Middle Ages, you just wore sort of, you can see it in like medieval art, you just wore kind of a loose tunic. And then there were a lot of like, you would tie off the sleeves with like ribbons, you would tie the collar, uh, you know, a lot like pants, like, you know, buttons were very expensive even. So a lot of stuff was just uh, done with laces. So. Oh, yeah, like cor- corsets and. Well, yeah. And so, so form fitting clothing came later, basically. And then Louis XIV got really out of control with it. So imagine at the time, if it costs $5,000 in today's money to buy a shirt, uh, if you have to wear four dresses a day because you're like a lady at court and you have to wear four different outfits every day that have to be different, uh, and they use, nothing was form-fitting. You're just using tons of cloth for everything. Hey, Danielle. Hey, talking so, about fashion. So um, Louis XIV started trends. And uh, mm-hmm. his gr- granddaughter? Marie Antoinette, or his grand, yeah, his granddaughter, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so she was affiliated with like the first, the first dressmaker, or basically like the woman who made hot couture a thing. Um, Which woman is that? Her name is Rose Burton Burton. I think it's pronounced. Um, okay. Yeah, four outfits a day. I do wear four outfits a day. Ariel does wear four outfits a day. Um, but they're all jumpsuits, so. And we're talking hey, Blaine. fashion. We're talking about fashion. Ariel does wear a new outfit to every ball that she attends as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, you can't show up in the same thing. Right. Um, so when was this? When was Rose so Bertin? Rose, I think her name is pronounced Bertin. 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 Oh, she was a, a French lady. Yes. Um, so she was born... In July 1747. And she was, this is actually very similar to the story of Coco Chanel. Um, She was born very poor, um, but she apprenticed uh, under a a very good dressmaker. And um, there are a couple of duchesses that came into her shop and they arranged a meeting with Marie Antoinette. Um, Marie Antoinette was like also extremely young. I think she was like 15 or 16 when she, when she was to marry. She loved her shoes though. She did, but that came. The movie has taught us anything. Yes, that came like later after she was, uh, she was queen. (laughs) Um, Oh, this is before. This is before. So Rose Bertin made her coronation 
dress, which there was a ceremony um, when Marie Antoinette crossed over from Austria into France. Mm-hmm. They took all her old like Austrian clothes, her Austrian dog. <laughs> they took it all away. <sighs> they they burned it or whatever. And then she had to have a new French dress. Um, and it was like very, it was almost like a, a like baptism or something. It was probably um, a way cooler dress. So yeah, it was way, it was way cooler. It was made yeah. by Rose Barton. And she mm. actually, you know, she did um, a very similar thing, I guess, to, to Louis the Fourteenth, like Rose Barton did, where she. Uh, oh, the talking to a sweater. The poodle skirt. Yeah. <laughs> Um, she what? basically made, she was, I guess she, uh, she made styles obsolete, like very quickly mm. by, um, you know, she would, she would make, a some, something for Marie Antoinette and then she would kind of make like a crappier version <laughs> for her noble women or like, um, you know, I don't know. Court- courtiers. Because there's courtiers not, and then there's... Not, not couturiers. <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, I want to confuse the two. Yeah. For her courtiers, he, she would make like a crappier sort of version. Um, and then she would never make that style again. So, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she got into like, I guess, season, seasonal fashion. Um, she had a huge budget that kept being increased also from... Uh, the royal court to make the to make the outfits, um, and because oh hey Conrad hey Conrad what's up um, and because a lot of noble women would have to dress Marie Antoinette they would all see the latest style right there because they had to they had to dress her every day so yeah yeah a lot of the clothing was still very uncomfortable during this period particularly stuff you'd wear at court. Like yes, huge crinoline, giant hoop skirts. Do you know what crinoline the, com, means? Comes from no. Or crinoline or is a uh, horsehair. So they would use horsehair to make these skirts like extra to stiffen them up. Nice. Yeah, clever. That's cool. So yeah, I didn't know. I didn't know that. I guess yeah, she was just a very like famous dressmaker. Yeah, it's because she got connected with her that she got that she blew up because Marie Antoinette was just a girl and she loved to shop, hunty. Um <laughs> but keep in mind, viewers and listeners, this is still the the time period when it's just the ultra wealthy get their own personal like assistant, like dressmaker basically. Yeah. Um and they would, you know, and they do orders of like twenty or thirty dresses for like if they're going on an important trip or something. Um but this is not yet the time of really having fashion houses. These are individual people who maybe have assistants. Yeah. So who is the first, the, the first, originator of yes. the fashion house? The first fashion house was the House of Worth. Oh, because and you're worth it. Because you're worth it. Not associated with Woolworth's department store. Totally different. Uh, Frederick Worth. Um, is this middle name? Fred- Charles, Charles Frederick Worth. Sorry. Yeah. Charles Worth. Charles. Charles Frederick Worth, a uh, British guy. Uh, and we're going to see this a lot in common with the people we talk about. Almost like nobody who becomes huge in like fashion or famous designers has a formal education. Um, so parents out there, 
not important what grades your kids yeah. are getting. As long as they go work at a department store. Or under or, the intern. <laughs> they have a they really intern. good internship. Because we'll find out even later, you know, even uh, Alexander McQueen, no for minimal formal education. Uh, so Frederick, or Charles Frederick Worth, um, yeah, his, his family was impoverished. His dad was a real, apparently was a solicitor, they said, which I think is a lawyer, but I guess sucked. Ah! he sucked at it. He hung out. So outside. He just like hung around. So he financially ruined the family. So at 11, uh, Charles Worth had to go, started working at a department store. In 19, he moved to France, uh, got a job in like uh, a fancier department store in France. And then that store sold primarily silk scarves and he started designing dresses to go with the scarves. Um, and his and like it caught the eye of the people who were shopping there. They finally uh, promoted him to his own like dressmaking department, uh, but they refused to uh, give him a piece of the business or like really promote him to an owner. So in 1958, at the age of 33, he likes created left, found a Swiss business partner, and created his own house, his own fashion house. And his name was already well known. Um, and then about two years, success like quickly followed. So he's 33 now. He's set up his own his, fashion it's house. It's his Jesus year. He's, yeah. And it was a big year for him. And he, uh, he had met and married his, uh, his wife uh, about five years earlier at the like fancy department store where he was making dresses. So she also left to help him out. So she became yeah. his primary model. So she was the first ever fashion model. Yeah. Uh, um, dude, there's a really cute thing that they used to do to Is like get name? people to buy stuff. Marie Marie Vernet was her name, by the way. Marie Vernet, first fashion model. Charles Worth, first fashion house, first hot couture designer. What did they do? Um, if you know, there'd be a guy and a girl, and like the guy would be, he, you know, the girl would be like trying on clothes, and the guy, if he like was turning a lot of the clothes down, basically. Um, mm. His, uh, what's her name? Marie. Marie would. Marie Vernet would come in and pretend to be a customer. No, she would. Oh. She would. She would come in and kind. Of, well, she would kind of be there laying out the clothes. Like Worth, what, Charles was like in mm. the back somewhere, or like I don't know, looking at her on camera. Not that, not that they yeah, had cameras. Um, through a system of mirrors, perhaps. And she would. She would kind of like give like little poker signals. She'd be, you know, she'd like kind of like look signal to him to and uh he would come in he would look at the pile of clothes that had already been tried on and he was like oh sorry these these might be out of like your price range let me let me like find you something mm -hmm. a little bit uh a little bit like cheaper and he would actually just take one of the clothes that the girl had already tried on like put it on her again and like kind of re restyle it a little bit and then the the guy would you know, he didn't want to be embarrassed about like not wanting to spend money. So he would be like, oh yeah, it's fantastic. Nice. We kind of had this like double team. Yeah, there really should be a movie about this couple. They're a very, they're a power couple. Yeah. So uh, yeah, Charles Worth, in, he's 33. He sets out with his own fashion house that he set up. Uh, and he was an aggressive self-promoter. He was the first ever designer to sew tags with his label into clothing. Uh, he was the first designer to use live mannequins, so he would, you know, hire yeah. models to come, like, wear the clothing for clients. Uh, and he was the first ever designer to, you had to come to, with the exception of, like, the queen or the empress, you had to come speaker. to the House of Worth to get your, your clothes, to buy your clothing. Um, so it became a salon in Paris. That was the place to go hang out. It was like Studio 54. It was. You go get a dress made. Um, so then... Uh, 
he's in business for two years in 1960, sorry, 1860, he makes a dress uh, for a French princess who like kind of knows his name. She wore it to this ball and the empress, uh, Eugenie, who was the wife of Napoleon III, the last French empress, sees this dress and is like, who made that? I want that. And so uh, she demanded a meeting the next day with him. Uh, and the, the princess who had, had worn that dress later wrote in her like memoirs or whatever, she was like, you know, it was a great day because <laughs> for Charlesworth, and it was the end of me being able to get dresses at 300 francs. Yeah, because she lost her discount. She lost her discount because everything got very pricey after that. So, uh, so that's 1960 on. Worth is a, a huge success for the next 25, 30 years of his life. Um, and then his sons took over the business. And the timing was also great because 1860 is the start of the Gilded Age, both in France and the Americas. There was a lot of money. There's a lot of wealth inequality, a lot of wealthy industrialists, uh, and so they had cash to burn. Just like us, right? Just like, <laughs> like us and now. Looking like, looking they like a million They say we've bucks. entered a new Gilded Age. Really? From the looks of us. Maybe, we ha- maybe that's true. Well, <laughs> I mean, the wealth inequality isn't a good thing, but we'll save that for the socialism episode. Yeah. For now, we're talking about fashion. Um, so should we, should we do a little like rundown of the decades and the designers? And then uh, take a guest. I think that's a good plan. Okay. Frog Speaker wants to see a full outfit reveal. Ooh. Yeah, we'll do. We'll do we'll a do, walk. We'll maybe do a, a walk. Yeah, a, <laughs> a runway. Um, I'm not a model. I'm dressed like a designer because it's oh, funny yeah. how often the designers will just wear a jacket with no undershirt <laughs> during the end of when they come out at the end of the show. Well, I yeah. I mean, it's 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 cool. Like when they when they actually like do something and they're, they're like, you know, they, they, they do like a walk themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of them humble. are just like, mm, hi, <laughs> I, I just spent like, you know, yeah. Three months three- preparing a collection with dozens of people, people yeah. working on it. And yeah, thanks. Thanks guys. It was a 15 minute, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah 15 like, minute yeah. show and now we're done. But, um, yeah, it's always great when there's like, you know, they come well. At least I don't know. I I can think of a bunch of examples, but like, it, in Alexander McQueen, like coming out with his two dogs was really cute. Yes. Um, yeah, wearing the kilt. Oh yeah, that was <laughs> little. Wearing a kilt. Uh, um. Oh, a blazer with yeah, Anne loves wearing a blazer with no shirt, and that calls. is um on conference calls. <laughs> I think that is um you can credit Yves Saint that? Laurent with that oh. i believe invented like the woman's suit i'm pretty i'm pretty sure all right i'm gonna hand it over well to i mean chanel did but not with because. not like the men's shirt um so in the 1910s uh the style it was like very art deco um mm-hmm. the emerging designers were coco chanel um lanvin and Paquin. Okay. Um, oh, Paquin. Jean Paquin, by the way, she later inherited the House of Worth. Yes. The House of Worth, uh, eventually, like, their competition overtook them, and Paquin bought them out. Paquin was the first major female haute couture designer. So, um, oh, and Leon, Leon Bach, uh, who is a ballet, like, costume designer. And this is a theme that comes up a lot, that... Um, a lot of fashion designers, they got into the trade because of like their love of dance and theater. 
Mm. Um, I think Louis Vuitton, uh, he actually wanted to design costumes for showgirls originally. Um, we'll get into it. I love his story. He He's really awesome. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, then in the 1920s, um, there's still pretty much the same, the same, like, designers on the scene uh chanel had a lot of like ups and downs um mostly because i feel like i feel like because mm -hmm. she was financed by so many she was so many financed by so many lovers that died mm -hmm. like tragic deaths or like were actually married like she was she was a mistress Com complicated yeah wow. she was never married so that's why you know there's a perfume called mademoiselle because everyone called her mademoiselle I guess is a a term of like respect for her. I don't know, or maybe they were like clowning her. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not Rude. really sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, a lot of her. She was. She was um, born very poor, and uh, her mother died when she was very young, and she was brought to an orphanage, and she learned how to sew there. Um, and then she also apprenticed there under- There we go again, the non-standard yeah. education. Yeah, if you're not sewing by age like 13, good luck. She was mademoiselle. Um, yeah, and she uh, she apprenticed under like some really good instructors, I guess. Um, and her, her main thing was like, she wanted to empower women um, and she, she didn't want them to have to wear like these heavy ass, skirts because in order to in order to cut down on like fabric costs they they were like we can we can cut down on the fabric if we just put steel like mm. a steel hoop in these skirts yeah so they instead of like the ton the tons and tons of crinoline, crinoline and and worth actually he made this silhouette with we like can a, save the horses yeah, he was like, we'll just put some steel in there. People, they actually liked that better because they were like, yes. oh, it's like less expensive. And we didn't get into, yeah, one of Worst's many innovations was that he took the very wide crinoline skirt and basically pushed the action to the back to make the front and side Baby smaller got back. so that women could actually fit through doors and like so that <laughs> maybe sit in chairs. Yeah. Um, he was the so original could, Sir Mix a lot. <laughs> and he did for Princess uh, Eugenie who loved to walk. She liked to go on long walks. Uh, at her request, he made a walking skirt, which was a skirt <laughs> that- That had a, oh, it had a thing, right? That you could hold. No, it just, it ended, okay. it was a, an ankle length skirt, which was scandalous at the time, but it was like at least reasonable compared to skirts that dragged on the ground. Uh, so eventually it caught on. But uh, yeah, a lot of what, and then he, he also developed, he eventually decided he didn't even like the crinoline at all. And so he came up with the princess dress, or the princess cut, which is very like high-waisted. It's an empire waist. <laughs> narrow gown, uh, which keeps its form just through the cut of the fabric. It's kind of like this dress like that I'm wearing. wearing. Yeah, nice. Dress. Yeah. Um, so continue then, fashion through the decades. Yeah. So really Chanel, well, okay. Chanel was like the main, the main contender on the scene until like the 1940s, um, the Second World War. So actually wars, they cause a lot of innovations in fashion. Mm -hmm. um, I think in, in part because the materials and what's available 
uh, changes and also because people want a change. So where Chanel was like, let's let's make a sensible like woman's suit, like a tweed suit. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, I want women to be like feminine, but empowered. Oh, I guess, um, I guess the flappers and like the... The, the 20s flappers, or yeah. Wearing men's styles, the bob cut. Exactly. And Chanel too. And, Chanel yeah, like Chanel kind cut of her hair. With, yeah. She, that. yeah. She she got a bob mm -hmm. as well. Um but Dior, um Dior and Balenciaga, they were like no like they went the opposite direction and they were like women women should be reminded of flowers and beauty and like we're gonna bring this big ass dress skirt back yes, um and return balenciaga the revenge of the crinoline um yeah exactly balenciaga um his silhouette was almost like he's inspired a lot by painters like surrealist painters so he had a more like flowy skirt and dior had skirts that were named after different kinds of flowers so they had they were kind of like a very bell shape mm. um and Chanel, she had a lot of difficulties during the war. And so she was like, she closed her house during the war and was like, I, uh, but. Yeah, people weren't really buying yeah. high fashion during the war, perhaps. Um, and, and she was so mad. Eventually she got so mad that Dior was like, and, and other men were like taking over the fashion industry and bringing back these like, um, these skirts and dresses and practical clothing yeah. yeah she got so furious and she was like that's it the house of chanel is back um yeah so she she came back in the 50s um and then let's see in the 60s there was yeah there were also like a lot of uh innovations in fashion so that's when you saint laurent um, so the sixties, you get your now it's like kind of the post World War II boom. Yeah. Right. And then by the end of the sixties, you've got like all of this, you know, cultural upheaval with the hippies. Yes, and and uh, you have Pierre Cardin, um, Mary Quaint, as well, who's like one of the I guess more one of the I know Chanel was like the Chanel and Rose Bertrand, but Mary Quaint was also. Um, a pioneer in women's fashion, in women's fashion design. Um, the 70s, I think, is where, like, my favorite people come out because that's when you have Vivian Westwood, the birth of punk, um, and, like, fetish clothing, which I think is so cool. Oh. Um, and then you have, on the opposite end of the spectrum, Calvin Klein, um, Valentino, Armani, and Versace. And they're influenced by disco, glam, pop, punk. Yeah. Yeah. Which then I guess led into 80s where you've got power suits and yeah. big shoulders. Grunt, you have grunge. But, and, but also, yeah, grunge. I and uh, sneaker culture starts to develop too. Mm -hmm. um, so you have, uh, in the 80s, you have Lagerfeld, Mugler, who's one of my favorite designers actually. Um, then there's like Adidas, Nikes, Vans, like all the, the shoe companies come out. Um, and then there's Donna Karen. Well, they're all, I mean, Adidas had been around for a while, but as a running shoe, right? Primarily. Yeah. Um, Nike started as 
right? Basketball shoes was their thing. Michael Jordan was like their you know spokesperson or whatever, right? When they started, and then uh, Vans was a skateboarding shoe. Yeah. Right. And Vans, the idea was they're supposed to be indestructible, basically. I mean, they they do their best, but yeah, shoes that could stand up to skateboarding. Because if you wore running shoes, you would destroy them quickly on a skateboard. Yeah. Um, do you know that Vans? I think was started as as a a deck a deck shoe, like a boat, like Sperry boat kind of. Um, and then it became a different kind of deck <laughs> mm-hmm. because they have like these non-slip. What's a sneaker that Harris wears? Harris wears Chuck Taylor All-Stars. Yes. Um, although she apparently didn't know that the picture they used where she's wearing the sneakers was going to be on the cover of Vogue. I think, yeah, she was, she was recently on the cover of Vogue and it was a big controversy because she took a very like, you know, wearing a power suit photo or whatever, like a, a you know, serious businesswoman photo. And they didn't use that one. They used like a cuter one of her. Like, of course they did. Yeah. Because it's like the era um, of like chill fashion. But Converse are, yeah, Converse are particularly these days, right? They're like, and, and really since they've been around, right? They've always been a very cool kind of slacker shoe. But they were, they were actually invented for basketball. Really. Yes. Yeah. 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 High, high lace up shoes with high, to cover your ankles for basketball. Um, yeah, and then in the 90s, you have Galliano, Tom, Tom Ford. Tom Ford. Alexander McQueen. Um, yeah, McQueen was late 90s through the 2000s. Um, was absolutely huge. He influenced a lot of what you see in Lady Gaga videos from the early 2000s, like Bad yeah. Romance. and ba- also, Bad Romance? Well, the, in the Bad Romance video, it's all McQueen. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, the insane shoes in that video. Go back and watch it because there's a lot of like looks taken directly from the McQueen runaway. Uh, Rihanna also in that time, the early mm-hmm. 2000s, mid 2000s, was wearing Alexander McQueen. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, yeah, fashion designers have always been very close with pop artists, which is like pretty cool. So Madonna and Jean Paul Gaultier, uh, which we'll yeah. talk about later, had right like. The pointy he, boobs. The pointy boobs. Uh, and I love those all the, pointy boobs. All the punk fetish looks. Uh, and then Gaultier also, uh, fashion like will show up in movies, right? So John Paul Gaultier did the costumes for The Fifth Element, famously. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, band- the, so thermal the bandage, bandages. Thermal bandage dress, yeah. Uh, Bruce Willis's like orange mesh shirt that he wears. Yeah. yeah. And Roddy Rod and his hair and his crazy flower suit is all uh, Gaultier designs. Yeah. So do you want to, we've done a, a quick summary of the history before mm-hmm. we dive into more stuff. Do you want to take a guess? Yeah, let's take a guess. Let's see. And well, so Anne knows a lot about the history of a certain kind of bathing suit. Let's do it. Um, so yeah, a let's see. She would I like to go live with us. There we go. We are waiting waiting for Anna Chelsea to go live with us and tell us about bathing suits, because we did not talk about that. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hey. Um, so you said I know a lot about the history of what? A certain kind of bathing suit? Yes. Let me start with how I know this. Okay. Um, my mother, um, used to wear this dress that was made by the designer Rudy Gernreich. I don't know if anyone's heard of it. So this oh. is the dress. I used to have this dress, but my mother cut it where the checkers 
and so like right here she had it hemmed so it was a mini dress yes so for pot for 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 podcast people that is a very like ankle length uh geometric dress and Anne's mother hemmed it. A big checkerboard skirt. Yeah. And then almost a camo looking uh, top. Yeah. And she, 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 she like just cut the bottom half of the skirt off. She cut the bottom off because we used to have a sign from baseball, from some famous place, baseball player. And she went over it with a pen so it would be clearer and reduced its worth to nothing by doing that. But actually, Pretty Grandreich was known and uh, became famous in fashion in the 60s and was known for the fact that he allowed his his um, creations to be um, sold in stores at normal prices. So, like, some of the famous, iconic things that he designed have been auctioned off for, like, $1,500, right? Wow. Uh, which, which is, like, half a shoe for some designers, right? Yes. So, um, anyway, and he was really really a feminist he was so but he's also the inventor of the several types of bathing suits right one okay. he, he's famous for oh she those who were on the podcast he's famous for uh i forget i forget what he called it but it's basically a topless bathing suit Ooh, oh my. yeah the bottom of a bathing suit that just ends at the waist and then there's just uh, the straps just go around the neck like a halter. Ooh, it's like a harness bathing suit. I love like a that. Harness bathing suit, and he also invented. Um, I hope the algorithm doesn't pick that up. I think it's <laughs> yeah. Oh, nice. Thong uh, bathing suits for men and women. Oh my God! Yes. Look at that. Right, and this is the '60s, right? And my That's... favorite is no. If you can't see it, this is like a little bikini thing. Mm-hmm. What you're supposed to wear it if, if you're. I guess it's for women, and it's basically no fabric. It just makes a V, and then your pubic hair and your your the, you know that area, that triangle <laughs> area, are sticking out, and you're supposed to color the hair and the skin. Some things so often. That's you awesome. You would just cover it green, right? So it makes wait, so you were supposed to wear that one like at the beach too, or that was yeah. like for? No, anywhere. You, I mean, when I was a child, I. <laughs> so Contents of these are great. That bathing suit. Nobody I know did, but the topless bathing suit was so popular that my mother and an actress friend of ours, Joan Macintosh, um, and I all went to Lampson's, which is like a Woolworth, like a cheapy store, and we would buy these um, just the bottoms of things that were in these bright neon colors. And we were just like, we're just going to wear them to the beach. And, of course, I was a kid, and I was kind of like, I don't know. <laughs> we go to the beach, and my mother and Joan are just wearing this Lampston's underwear that you'd be sold. Like, if you got it today, it'd be, like, in a four-pack for, like, $1.99. <laughs> and no tops. Uh-huh. I, I was, like, nine. I didn't even have boobs. I was just, like, I felt so much pressure to just do it because... Yeah, and then so we went to France, our family, and on the river in Europe and Scandinavia, or whatever. They've always been further advanced than us. Like women's tits were not like a big thing. Mm-hmm. Hi, Diane. So my friend Diane just joined. hello. So, hello. So um, I didn't want to appear square, so I went on the beach 
in this just lampstands underwear, terrified, <laughs> terrified. So that that's all I can remember from it. It was just like I felt horrible, but I would have felt <laughs> worse if I had refused mm. because I thought it was unhip. All right, that's so, so funny. if you think that that a guy who, and by the way, no formal education, grew up in a household where he'd watch somebody be a seamstress. Um, tell her, tell Diane. Oh, we're talking about fashion, and Anne is telling us the history of the topless bathing suit, which I didn't even know was a formal thing. No, it was big hit. Big hit. Um, and everybody used to talk about um, Rudy Gernreich when I was a kid. Um, and I just like Rudy Gernreich's first designer I ever knew anything about. Wow. But the thing is that that um, while first of all he, he he was I think born in Austria uh, had to had to escape during World War Two and apprenticed to um, like a seamstress or one of his aunts did so yes no formal training no formal education but he was equally politically active and a designer hmm. he he didn't distinguish between or he. He didn't formally distinguish between designing clothes and political activism. Um, so I have to take this off because I'm going to read something. Um, I can't read with glasses on. Um, what? <laughs> so he said, <laughs> he, said um, he wanted to reduce the stigma of the naked body to cure a society of its sex hangup. Mm. He said, to me, the only respect you can give to a woman is to make her a human being. A totally emancipated woman who was totally free. All of his clothes were designed to be worn without bras. Mm. That's so cool. You, they just, and then I think the bra industry got on his back. And the bra, bra. That's a good the pun. The, the bra industry got on his back. Get it? Yeah. yeah. Um, they, so they got on his case and he developed a bra that was basically nothing. Oh, that like the... Mm -hmm. The like the cupless bra, what? the the bra the bralette. Oh yeah, the bra the bra the bralette. Um, anyway, um, so then I started looking up like the history of the bathing suit. So way back when, uh, women were just fully dressed at the beach. Oh, the costume, the right? Your beach costume. Your beach costume. Mm -hmm. which to me, looks like something I wouldn't even wear to a ball. Like it's way too much fucking fabric, um, and they, and they also were not. It wasn't just for modesty. It was also because they were not supposed to get sun. They were supposed to be pale, mm -hmm. which was a sign of your class. Because if you're if you're tan, it means you worked outdoors, your gardener, whatever. You're trash. Uh, yeah, yeah. You're basically working class. Mm -hmm. You got to be pale. Ability, they they didn't even know that sun exposure causes cancer back then. Which I dress like this on the beach now, like in a hazmat suit. But they all dressed, and then there came a time where I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna like belabor this, but I just found. Wait, I'm gonna put this up for anybody who can see it. This, this is so. Is, hmm. okay, it's a cabin that floats on water with a woman in kind of like a, a sailor, a, a little you know, sailor a outfit. Oh, yeah. a changing okay, cabin. So they would float if you were wealthy enough. You would just float on the water. You could go to the beach and never go outside because you had your own cabin that floated on the water. Oh my God. That's a. <laughs> and now, 
Um, oh yeah. Oh, Conrad, we'll we'll be here. We'll be here for like another hour. So you got time. Yeah, come back. Come back. Come back. Yeah. Anyway, so now as you everybody knows, like bathing suits are pretty much fucking anything. Like you can go in the water with your clothes on. You cannot wear clothes depending on the country you're in. And by the way, if you want to feel great about your body, go to a new beach. Um, you can like pretty much do anything you want. Um, do you know who invent like? But we're going back to covering ourselves entirely. Last time I was on a beach, the only part of my face you could see were the pupils of my eyes. Uh, when was that? When ruins your skin worse than smoking. Oh yeah, true. Mm-hmm. Okay, so ask any questions you want. I'm not gonna oh. go on. I try to go during off peak hours when I go to Definitely the beach. Definitely that. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, that actually was a. It's a funny thing because we talked earlier about Louis the Fourteenth and mm-hmm. another one of the like. The Sun King. Another of the outfits you had to wear at court for for women were these sleeveless gowns that you'd have to wear outside. So it made it extremely hard for them to like. That's what you had to then carry a parasol everywhere because otherwise you would like you know tan or burn. First of all, tan lines to me are like the worst possible thing that can happen to you, other than you know, Republican regime. Mm-hmm. And I I had this obsession as a, as a teen to not have tan lines. So I wouldn't, like, I didn't like the little line here and the line here. Yeah. And the, so I would go, if my parents rented a house, we'd go somewhere we are, where I couldn't be seen. Oh, there you go. Like Fire so Island. Diane remembers I used to sunbathe topless in Fire Island. No tan lines. Mm-hmm. No tan lines. Then I get to college, so I was still in high school. And I would only do 20 minutes on each side because I was like, I don't want to be like burned or like, and plus it was boring because there was, there was no podcast, there was nothing mm. to do if you were, and um, I get to college and the first person I date goes, I love tan lines on girls. You're like, mm. damn, gotta wear a top. Fuck you. Mm. So that was the end of that. But um, now I only wear scuba diving bathing suits and whatever. Well- yeah. So do you know that the the first like bathing suit that wasn't um a swim costume was kind of like a scuba suit. It was just like a just a form yeah. fitting outfit. It was like so a wetsuit. So it was suit. a net invented by an Anne, and a net Kellerman. Um yeah, she 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 debuted a swimsuit that co- it basically looks like a a jumpsuit like a skin tight unitard. Um, right, I guess what you should wear in open water, I think. Yeah. But not for, you know, not to look beautiful, but because you want your, you, you don't, you want to be protected from the elements. You want to be warm enough. And then apparently the, so then they added like frills to that because they were like, well, this is kind of boring. So they added, they were like, we have to make this look more like the swim costumes, but like, okay. and then when sport, um, when there were like sports in the Olympics, they were like, we gotta, these, these frills are holding people down. Right, you can't say, how can you, like, you've shaved everything off, all the hair off your body, you're yeah. down by a lace thingy, that's ridiculous. The sport, sporting, and all that stuff with the zipper up, you know, that, like, James Bond thing. Yeah. I kind of like those. They're yeah. like combo, like, you can carry a machine gun while you're wearing it, but yeah. your legs still look really long. Yeah. Um... Yeah, and the bikini was the, the high zip. The yeah, regular the bikini was was the bikini was named after the nuclear test that had just happened oh, on the yeah, bikini yeah. 
Atoll Islands. Yeah. My mother used to wear bikinis all the time, and um, not all the women, but some of the women in my family, including me and my mother, always had like kind of a little belly. Like we could be starving to death, we'd still have it. And my grandmother, my paternal grandmother, used to say to me, why can't your mother wear a nice, slimming one piece like Linda, which is the daughter? Linda Evangelista? No, I'm mm. And my mother didn't care. She she had like a cigarette in one hand and virtually like this tiny little nothing. She didn't care what her body looked like in it. And therefore, it looked great. If you don't care, just wear what thrills you. You just look good. Yeah. So let's ask... Um, if you had a fashion house, what would it be called? Um, the House of Black. That's awesome. No <laughs> doubt. Um, and what would what would your iconic piece be? Like, I think it would be, first of all, I think it would be something because I'm wearing sleeves now because it's winter and it's a little chilly. But I would it would be something very strappy. Mm, okay. Um, so it wouldn't. Ha- it would be very low fabric, very simple, like almost like a slip dress, or mm. um, like I wouldn't make business clothes because I think a suit is fine. Women can wear them, men can wear them. We don't need to fuck around with that. Let's. But, yeah, let's come up with a name for it because I feel like fa- I I love how uh, fashion names are I always think like. You have a lot of like, or a little bit of something weird on it, like beads or a cutout. You know, so it should be like the the collage slip. The collage, yeah. It's not bad. I love a good. I love how fashion stuff is always like singular when they describe. They're like, I love a good. I love a good slim strap. Uh, I love a good pump. I love yeah. a good pump. I love a nude lip. A nude lip. Yeah. Yes. I, I, I just want it to be, and it has to be natural fabrics. There's going to be no other. Has to be silk. I don't. I can't wear wool, but I'd be okay with wool. Silk, cotton, wool, linen, period. Nothing else except the, the appliques and stuff and the cutouts, which, like, I'd like to have, like, a little window that's plastic that has like, oh. beads all around mm. it. I'd like it to light up like a Burning Man thing. Oh, my God. Oh, what? Like, wow. Like that. <laughs> mm. Wow. Okay, so it'd have a lot of fancy features. Yeah. yeah some extra. So that's your that's your staple. That's I like that. That's, that's the staple. Garment. That's what you're known. Yeah, that's they're, they're you're known like for, this uh, is our. Yeah, they have an entire runway show of those. Yeah, those. that's like what is it like the Gucci, uh, fall or the Gucci fall yeah, winter two thousand eighteen. Gucci fall winter two thousand eighteen with what school the ruffled schoolgirl skirts? No, it it was it was. Like very weird, um, and the models had like they had um, oh that's bizarre yeah. like heads of themselves that they were holding, and they had like little baby this? dragons. <laughs> or like this, how were they holding? The Just like like, like a purse, like in their like a cl- like oh, a. That. It was like a headless horseman. Yeah, Karen, and they but, just had the same expression as these. Like the heads were like, and they had <laughs> like I, and they had the same yeah, vapid like. We'll put some. We actually have pictures of that. We'll we'll throw some of those up there. Nice. Um, Do you remember when I went to Versace with you? Yes, yes, I do. And they did my makeup, and it was great. They did mine too. Yeah. I, we went to buy a present for my the my boss who was leaving, and and 
I was allowed to use my corporate card, and they said she wore scarves, and they said just get a scarf. So we go and we the scarf was easy, you buy that, pay for that, and they go, you know, you can get a free makeover. Mm. And I'm like, great. And they're like, do you want a, uh, well, what kind of look do you want? I, I go, well, how about a good one? Because I, <laughs> I, do. I don't, yeah. I go, can I have just a work look? They finished, and I go, what do you think I do for a living? Like, I'm a street walker? Yeah, it was, it was like, extra. And it was beautiful. I'll never be able to recreate it. What did they do on you? Um, they, they did like a, they just, they put a lot of, like, foundation. Like, it was a natural look. I think they put a bright, like, a bright pink lip on me. I, I'm pretty like sure. This. It was, yeah, a I'm natural like look like this. <laughs> like this yeah, a natural look like you always wear now. <laughs> and then we went out and saw the tree. Yes. All right, so, do you want to bring another guest? Or do you have more yeah, questions? well, we, um, I think that's it. Do you have any fashion questions to ask us? <laughs> I feel like you've answered almost. No. Like, what do you think is going to be the next thing? Like, what's or is it going to be a pandemic thing? And don't say sweatpants or whatever. I, that's, I mean, that's I, people being lazy. This past year, mask fashion was kind of the new thing. Yes, I have like nine thousand masks. Yeah, yeah, a lot of people got into mask fashion. I've been I've been rocking mask fashion for a couple decades now, but uh, <laughs> I'm glad that other people are finally uh, into it. Um, yeah, I mean. We're gonna. We'll talk about later the right. The current like a huge influence on fashion is streetwear, and so yes. you've got all these brands well, now. Where else are you gonna go, right? That's who. Yeah. So Conrad, but where are you gonna go? But well, there are so Conrad. a lot of a lot of fashion comes not from uh, like a, a hot couture like fashion house. It comes from like skate brands or like you know brands that do hip hop clothing or whatever. Yeezy. <laughs> yeah, Yeezy is now uh, Diane, a sneaker house. Always used to and probably still does in certain circumstances, like known for her lipstick. Mm. And her purse is another accessory. Well, you can still wear lipstick because isn't it like Marilyn Monroe or something used to wear like crazy underwear? And she was like, I do, I do it just for me, you mm. know? Right. The director said to her, but nobody will know you're wearing it. Yeah. Like, I know. Mm. Yeah. That's and true. It makes you feel a certain way. So wear the fucking lipstick. Or get on Zoom with me, and we'll. we'll or or come on, through. come on, uh, question block, and you could. Show. You can come on question block. <laughs> um, and they do sell the masks also that have the clear cutout. Although I'm not a big fan of those. I don't like those. You can't breathe. They stick yeah. to your face. So you can get a mask um, bracket, which pushes the mask pushes away you from your. No, from like little, it keeps it around your nose, muzzle. but it pushes it away from your mouth. Mm-hmm. So you don't sound muffled, and uh, so you can wear lipstick. No, Diane, we have to get on Zoom. And yes. We'll just wear different lipsticks. Yes. Or just meet up outside and, you know, keep your distance. How do I get Should online? Uh, you sent a request. Are yeah. you on Instagram? Yes. Okay. So we, so you can text her how to get on okay. with us. Um, I'll not waste everybody's time with that. Uh, and, t- yeah, text, yeah. Yes. Right. Thank you so much for Thank joining us. Thank you for joining us. Bye. <laughs> yes. This was so fun. Thank you for telling us about the swimsuit, too. Lovely, lovely blazer and pearls look from Anna yes. this evening from the House of Black. So yeah, we can we can send a request to go live. Should we throw should we throw a couple more facts? Yeah, in there? we got a couple more facts. Uh, one that we didn't even get to, which we should have been at the top of the show, is what is the definition of hot couture? Uh, I have so, the guidelines. So here. It's, Ariel has the official guidelines. There are rules to being a major fashion house. These were set by. There's a French conglomerate uh, started by. Charles Frederick Worth, our our hero from earlier in the show, 
uh, in like the early 1850s, um, maybe mid 1850s, once his house was established. Um, and so it's the, the Chambra <laughs> the ch- <laughs> Cineclad de Chambra la Haute Couture. De la Haute Couture. So the chamber, the council. The, the cynical count- the cynical council. The council of fashion vampires. They, uh, <laughs> they set the rules. So you have to exhibit two collections a year, typically a fall and a spring collection. Um, although, right, the fall, they're both for like six months from now. Yeah. So the, the fall collection shows summer styles. And late spring and summer styles, and the spring collection actually shows like fall and winter styles. But uh, you need at least thirty-five outfits, and it has to be presented to the general public. Um, and hot couture clothing must be all hand-sewn, none of it by machine. Um, and I think that's a that's about the extent of it. It's, is uh, and the pieces generally are they are one of a kind. They are not sold except like museums for collections. So a hot couture garment is basically priceless. It's the only one of its kind that will ever exist. And the clothing is specifically tailored and cut for the exact model who's going to wear it on the runway. Yeah. What we all wear, well, maybe you, but this mm, is maybe, hot couture. Yeah. But uh, mm. yeah, what, what uh, most of us wear is known as Pret-a-Porter. You may have heard of Pret-a-Manger, uh, but Pret-a-Porter is ready to wear, um, which is why... Yeah. You can walk into a store and get clothing more or less in your size. And then if it's a fancy suit or dress, you go to a tailor or dressmaker who will adjust it, do alterations to fit your size. This is is like really interesting that to be considered to be considered a hot couture house, Mm -hmm. the brands must own an atelier uh, like a. Oh, oh, that's right. In Paris with at least 15 full time employees um, and at least 35 looks in a show um and then the the um yeah the the chambra with, with at least 15 <laughs> they, um, people they come up they decide they like sit around and they decide right and the list can and does change Givenchy mm-hmm. notably dropped off the list of haku tour in spring 2013 no brand no matter no matter their prestige, can circumvent the guidelines first put mm-hmm. in place in 1945. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it says uh, that fashion shows, like, who would you think comes to fashion shows? Like, who's the main? I mean, right from, you know, photos of New York Fashion Week or whatever, right? There's, like, the press, the fashion press that covers it, who are all taking photos, and then celebrities uh, and editors of fashion magazines like Anna Wintour. Um, and then but, s- some pop star crossovers, right? You'll see Rihanna or like Grace Jones. That's in a fashion actually show. the majority of people who attend are customers, which I didn't know that. I thought it was all like the press and stuff like that, because that's who you see because they're literally they're literally like on the runway, they get the, they <laughs> like get the front row seats. Yeah. yeah. Um, but that's why you see celebrities. They're not. It's not just because you know the brands give them a free invitation. It's because they probably bought clothes with the with the brands um and mm. they're they're like basically there to shop <laughs> oh um so they'll get like their own version of a hot couture like item like an yeah. I- a runway item for example yeah um it says that that the wife of steve harvey is is a regular um and also novelist danielle Steele. <laughs> 
You know what? <laughs> yeah. Daniel Steele was a, a fixture of fashion shows. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Harvey's got, you know, a lot of comedy special money and, and now the host of Family Feud. So doing all right. <laughs> he's, yeah. got, he's got money uh, for high-end clothing. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. It really is for buyers to look at. And yeah, I mean, they say that's why like a, the hot couture designers, even if they have a very distinct style of their own, like Galliano, who was hired by Dior and designed for Dior, or Alexander McQueen, designed for Givenchy. 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 <laughs> uh, it was still, it was unmistakably his style, but that would feed into what the next season's clothes were going to be. They would be some version of that. So it sort of sets the tone. Um, because hot couture shows themselves just lose money. Because like the pieces aren't going to be sold. It's really just a promotional thing. So it's an incredibly expensive, like labor-intensive way to do promotion. But that's what it takes to be the best. Yeah. It is true. really funny to think of the world of fashion. Yeah, as I learned researching the show, the amount of effort and work and skill that goes into it compared to other industries that I know about, mostly music. Um, some amount of art and film, though. And Ariel. And, and even Ariel. Um, yeah, the amount of, of just insane work that goes into a 15-minute fashion show is, you know, dozens of people working for, like, months. Um, for, yeah. Um, and, for, like, millions of dollars of, like, you know, fabric and, and effort, you know, going into this thing. I've heard it compared to a wedding. Yeah, even a wedding you get a good four hours out of. Well, right? no, no, like the ceremony, like the thing, you know. The, the ceremony The ceremony itself. is, like, yeah. you know. You know, it's, like, you know, 15 up to maybe 40 minutes, depending how religious it how is. Boring the wedding. How boring the wedding is. <laughs> Um, That's a good way to think of it. Yeah. And it's, you know, an outfit that will be worn once. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's very much, very much like what? Um, sh so should we talk about uh, designers in there, the, the, like the thing that they're known for? Yeah, let's. Because the designers are fascinating people. <laughs> designers are the most fascinating. I will people. say one other thing I want to point out, too, is that uh, among musicians, it it is often... Uh, the barrier to become, uh, say, a famous musician is like you very much have to be lucky and inspired, but you don't need a ton of formal training, right? Most like famous musicians today can't read music. They did not study in a conservatory. They, you know, paid their dues, but between like, you know, three to maybe 10 years of learning music production or like playing an instrument or being in a band, right? Um, and they all tend to make it very young. Whereas, when you become a famous fashion designer, McQueen was famously young because in his like mid twenties, he basically like uh, started getting these gigs, but he was the exception. And all of them like put in years, at least like a decade, like learning to sew, just doing yeah. like, the very and basics. Cut, of their, and they said that, okay. that, that McQueen could look at someone and. And could just cut a suit for them. Yeah. Like he wouldn't even sketch anything out. He would just like look and at start them. Start drawing on the fabric with chalk. Like this is this is how we cut the suit. Yeah. yeah. And then just like and cut it to them. And that was because he he apprenticed um he apprenticed under some really good people and he did go to yeah, the Academy in, of Arts, I think, in Paris, eventually, like for his masters, right? He did get a master's, but I think it was mostly that he spent, you know, several years starting at like age sixteen. Uh, working in like basically high end places that made suits in London. Yeah, because he his mom told him that there was a shortage of uh, of um, and a shortage of yeah. yeah atelier apprentices. So he 
She's like, go knock on the doors. And he did. And, and yeah, they, they hired him. Mm -hmm. Um, so we talked about Chanel, uh, and her, her, I think of like a tweed pantsuit when I think of. Yeah, very much. And the, uh, and like the, maybe like certain like purses, some accessories, I guess. And the perfume. And then the perfume is iconic. Um, also the logo, which is. What about Chanel number four? Huh. Right. Well, oh, because when you're making a perfume, um, I guess you try different like configurations. And I think it was like the fifth one. She was like, yeah, this is a little. And that became the name. Chanel yeah. number five. Whereas, so creative. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the interlocking C's, the Chanel logo, uh, that, so people think it's because of Coco Chanel. Um there's also a theory that it's because of her and one of her lovers who died, whose last name also began with C. Um, there's a there's a whole Ooh. bunch of theories, and the house of Chanel has come back and said yes to all of them. Like they're <laughs> like, like whatever. they're it can like be whatever you want. Yes, to be. it's it's a little bit of everything. Um, oh, actually, it's we have these logos behind us. Yeah, so we do. I thought they're a little. Tell us about the Louis Vuitton. Okay. Um, well, I don't. The the I don't know so much about like the actual logo, but I yeah. do know that the the Louis Louis Vuitton was a um a packer of of a wardrobe packer. A, pack, a professional wardrobe packer because back in the day when you had to travel and your this was like in the time of like crinolines we're back the to the crinolines. Um yeah, where women are taking, you know, 30 dresses with them. Yeah, to, uh, to and they're big dresses and, like, you know, you would just have trunks. And, and yeah, but the big, trunks big were the trunks. trunks were leather, and they made your clothes smell gross. So, oh, yeah, because they get exposed to, like, all the salt water. Yeah, and, and also they smelled like leather. Like, no, you know, I don't know, whatever. So, rich, um, rich leather-bound <laughs> trunks. Yeah, okay. I'm sure the leather was not like good smelling the way it is today. This was a long time ago. Oh, I do a factoid after this for you. Continue. Okay. And also the trunks were dome shaped, so you couldn't stack them. Like you try to stack them and they, they just like fall. And so that sucked. So uh, Louis Vuitton was like, I'm going to change that. Um, he made the trunks out of like a more synthetic material. Um and he made them rectangular so you could stack them. And then he... <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. The packer who yeah. loved to stack. The packer stacker. Um, and then the checkerboard, he went through a bunch of different, like, patterns. Um, and the checkerboard pattern, I think, was the first one. And that got so copied. And he kept trying to, like, stop people from copying it. But it got so copied that... It's now in the public domain. It was like, okay, I'll make a more intricate one. With that's where you have the interlocking L and V. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he tried to make them more intricate so that people couldn't copy them. Um, yeah, he actually lost, or the company lost a case. They tried to sue someone for using a checkerboard. Yeah, the, and the and they're like, it's part of public like, domain you, right now. It's like you stole this from a chess set, <laughs> so like. No, you can't. You can't. Checkers stole it from a chess set. Checkers stole it from a chess set. Who knows? Um, Whichever came first. Yeah, like this has been this has been around. Um, Yeah, it's like using Xerox to describe a copy. Yeah. Oh, Coach 
I will, this is an interesting thing. Coach, um, cause they have the bags with the, with the bamboo. Does coach do clothing or they're just bags? They do. I think they do some clothing. Are I'm there purse sure. shows? Are there purse fashion shows? They're accessories for, I mean, coach definitely has perfume. I think they have, yeah. Mm, I don't know. I wonder, yeah, um, they're certainly not like a hot couture, like, you know, house, but they're a very well-known name in fashion. Th this is something interesting, though, is mm. like that the I think they have a bamboo handle mm. on their bags. And that was from the the World War. One of the I think World War Two, they were like running out of materials. So they were like, now nah, we'll use bamboo. <laughs> yeah, I um, suppose so. Shortage of like, because bamboo is very strong, I suppose, and lightweight. Yeah. There's so like a shortage of metal. They that's yeah. And now it's like a thing that they're known for. Where's where's Coach based out of? Are they English? I, I believe so. Okay. I didn't do a ton of research. I, I just no, knew that bamboo that. factoid. Um so yeah, we talked about Chanel with the pantsuit. Right. Um oh, I was gonna tell you a factoid yeah, that I learned that. reading reading up on Louis the Fourteenth again in his yes. style. Uh is that people did not smell bad back then. Uh, even oh. though bathing was relatively rare. Um, they wore perfume? No, because the leading science at the time, we should have said this last week on the medical episode, the leading science was that sickness was, was spread through bad odors oh. and like bad smells or like bad air. So people actually took a lot of care not to smell bad because people would be like, oh, you're sick if you, smell, if you smelled gross. So even though people did not bathe regularly, you would wipe yourself down with the cloth at the end of the day and they used a lot of fragrances and perfumes. Oh, um, so it was like the axe effect in uh, the axe effect, <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, it really, yeah. At least it's good to know because I used to think that everybody smelled bad because they didn't bathe that often. But yeah, most people couldn't. I think smelled probably pretty good. Um, well, yeah, that's my factoids. I'm exhausted. <laughs> so should we sh show some pictures of of different <laughs> designers and what they're pictures? known for? Yeah, or you can describe it a little bit. Yeah, and I also have some like do or don't. Uh, Fashion that some do or don't fashion tips. No, no, I just have some like runway pictures that we can describe. Okay. Um, oh, I will guess like do's or don'ts. Oh no, we can just they're oh, okay. they're all run from runways, but some of them are just like absurd. Oh. oh, I thought you had fashion tips for the audience. Oh no, I mean the only fashion tip I have is like just is you, no fashion tips. Wear it, <laughs> wear it with confidence, honey. Yeah, um, throw some glitter on it. I would say that's my mm. fashion tip. Your hunchback? Uh, whatever. Some whatever there's some glitter on it. It's yeah, okay. There's some glitter on it at home. Um, All right. Let's see some photos. Let's do some reviews. So yeah, Chanel. The here's my tweed tweed pant tweed pantsuit. Um, yeah. So it's like the I always think of it being like pink or like salmon with like a black trim, mm -hmm. that kind of that kind of thing. So like you're feminine, but like. You might be a boss. It's sort somewhere. of like the Tupperware party, like saleswoman. Yeah, um, which I kind of am like. Ugh, I kind of roll my eyes at that because I'm like I'm all about like costume, like finesse. Like I'm kind of like someone who is so enraged that they uh, they were like, "Damn it, the silhouettes are getting too beautiful again. I gotta, I gotta get back." into action um shut it down but she's very i mean they're all very elegant still yeah yeah i don't know but then when you look at like balenciaga and like this beautiful just mm -hmm. like it's it's like a matador's cape 
But um, oh, we have to do extensive descriptions because it's yeah, also an audio. That's podcast. what I'm, I'm describing. So, <laughs> so tell me so about this Balenciaga gown. Um, with a so he was sp- tight jacket. Spanish, yeah, and so you can see, like, it's kind of like a bolero kind of jacket. Um, so it's like big shoulders, like little waist, and then like big hips, which I love. Like, that's I love that sort of like silhouette because I already have like that. I already have like big shoulders from Ariel, so I'm like mm. bigger shoulders, I guess. And uh, yeah, I I love I love that. Like silhouette. Oh, we didn't talk about it. And Chanel famously was in the Simpsons episode when Marge joins a country club. Because <laughs> she's at an outlet mall and randomly finds a Chanel suit for like $200. And then she's wearing it just like running errands, like <laughs> pumping gas and sees like an old snooty friend from high school who invites her to her country club. Yeah. Oh, because people can clock the suit. Exactly. That's, the woman is- sees the suit and is like, nice. I see that you also are in business or philanthropy. Um, yeah. Yeah. So this is, I guess, what I'm trying to, because what I'm trying to help people with, like how to clock a certain designer. Although this is like what they're, the individual designer is known for, not necessarily what the house is doing now, because some of that has gone way off the rails. It changes quite a lot, right? You wouldn't catch a lot of these, like right Dior under Galliano didn't look anything like the dress you're about to show. Yeah. So this dress looks very like tulipy, which I, I think it's so cool. It's so like... The section describing this dress, this tulipy dress, is great because it says, from a fashion perspective, the 50s actually began in the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because that 1950s, the 1950s look of, like, the little cinched, like, waist and the the, the big, like, skirt, that's, that's what Dior, the man, is known for, the, mm. the designer. Um... Yeah, but the fashion no. houses, it is very interesting that they'll, in in many cases, to stay relevant and because they have a ton of money, they'll hire young, promising designers to, like, come get weird. Yeah. Well, they, we saw, because you can watch basically all the fashion shows on YouTube. They're, like, they're just out there. Oh, a lot of them, yeah. A ton of them. Of them. Um, and uh, we saw the this incredible one, Dior. It was, like, an Egypt collection. Um. Yeah, that's that's got that's Dior under Galliano, I believe, right? Yeah, when that I think came so. out. But it's yeah, I mean, it's up it there. It's, it just it doesn't like, look. It's you know, it's costumes. It's like incredibly elegant looking costumes. All. Well, they're they're very stiff clothing. If you remember yeah. from that walk, the models were. I think they were instructed to like do this. Like, oh my aching back! They like they apparently. literally put their hands on their back and like lean back and lean way back. And, but not too far back because they were yeah. like legit wearing like a pyramid made out of gold <laughs> that would have fallen off. But there's a lot of like very careful walking with like tiny steps in these yeah. like some of the clothing is just made of like large metallic like pieces stitched together. And you're like, you can't. Yeah, you can't bend your you knees can't. in it. You can't. Um, so who else do you want to do you want to introduce us? Oh, Armani. Who? OK, tell me about Armani. Um, yeah, so Armani is about like very like simple clean lines suits <laughs> you can think about mm-hmm. you can think about suits but also um designed a lot of a lot of things for women that are just it's i i think of like yeah very like modern and minimal minimal design okay very very clean and like sharp um armani's like a designer who's very like stylish so right armani suits are very well known too their menswear is also like 
Yeah. Striking, I guess. Um, it was kind of like, weren't they like sort of the signature of the 80s and 90s? Like yeah. Man's Italian suit. Yes. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, Yves Saint Laurent, who's, I think like, just from what I've read about him, he's like, I don't know. He just seems awesome. Like an awesome, like he was an awesome person. Um, and this is the designer who I think that Lily, we were trying to figure out who Lily's favorite designer mm. would be. And I think maybe it's Yves Saint Laurent because. Lily, Lily Wolf from the band. Yeah, from the, the band. Wolf. The other the other owner of Secret Loft. Secret Loft, who may join us. Yeah. Who is very into fashion, but we'll see. But she, but, uh, you, I don't know if it's still true, but she used to love just like a, a like a men's like white shirt and actually my my mom said that mm -hmm. as as well um and you see laurent was like the designer for that um, she also invented the dinner jacket for women yeah and in like the paint which i think like a pinstripe is probably suit for women your mom was giving a nod to which to i don't her with her blazer and pearls yeah i don't like the although i don't like the feminine suit i do like girls and like boys clothes like I I like that but I I'm like just one or the other like I don't know and I like unisex like unisex clothes but yeah I know you're yeah. saying well yeah it takes a certain body type you're saying maybe you don't like a pantsuit that's specifically cut no I just don't like prettying it way. up I think it's very like sexy for a woman to wear like a man's oh actually clothes keep the, yeah you yeah. keep the silhouette because you're like ooh, it's wrong like she should like you have this like uh, ooh, something's going on something exciting is about okay. to happen I'm, like say the Chanel like pink yeah I think it's too too like Charlotte ladies. from sex in the city yeah um yeah. It's, it's it's too a, like it's goody two shoes. Suit. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's like a lady who it's lunches. Softer. It's made of softer fabric for ladies. It is a lady tweed. who lunches. Tweed is tweed is trash. <laughs> well, we'll have to do a whole other show on hats because we haven't even really gotten into how hats went out of style. How oh, true. Because um because it used to be a very cool part of your wardrobe. Although I suppose masks have now taken the place of hats. Yeah. We're bringing back accessories as a people. We are. Yeah. Yeah. Um, oh, Issey Miyake, mm -hmm. who basically makes origami. Like, actually, this this, this dress, this dress yeah. that I'm wearing, because uh, it, it has Her all these origami. pleats in it. Um, mm -hmm. It would be kind of like an Issey Miyake thing. There is a picture um, in this fashion book that we have uh, where it looks like this person is kind of wearing like a corn hat. Like they're, uh, what is they're that? They're wearing an empanada. They're wearing an empanada. It's a human empanada, sort of. They look kind of like a turtle, the silhouette. Yeah. The person themselves is also in an orange body stocking, I think. I or think just so. painted orange. It's or not the lighting, maybe on. they're a mannequin. They we don't know. They might be a mannequin. But yeah, what, a, um, what an outfit. <laughs> but yeah, Miyaki <laughs> has a... a, a he has like this, he's, he's been intensely occupied um, with the Japanese tradition of pleating material. With his Pleats Please collection, he revived the technique using its form in a matter different than regular pleated fabrics, which are cut and sewn after the fabric has been pleated. In Miyake's revolutionary process, the fabric is cut and sewn first and then pleated using a heat press to retain the pleats, which is kind of like the thing that I'm wearing because it's like, these pleats are not coming out. Like they're they're in. They're very pressed. They're in. I'm wearing mm 
ISIS mm-hmm. wings as a dress for yeah for for those hard pleat yeah hard, you got a pleat. hard pleat yep um yeah another well so not Japanese fashion <laughs> bitch pleat designer <laughs> that should have been <laughs> that could be your house yeah another uh, a designer who who teamed up with Louis Vuitton actually was uh, Takashi Murakami. Yeah, who did all the crazy flower designs? Uh, also teamed up with Kanye for some album covers. Um, but yeah, he has. You can find it on YouTube. There's a very silly. It's a Louis Vuitton video, but involves like a cartoon character falling into just this insane dimension full of crazy little creatures. Uh, by Takashi Murakami. Um. But I liked it because that was a great. Now that's like a great pattern that no one can copy. It's yeah, like that all flower. those like crazy little cartoon flowers and teddy be- like the insane teddy bears. Yeah, the insane teddy bear posse. That's. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you also have Carl Lagerfeld, mm-hmm. who I, I'm kind of obsessed with. Because like I mean, he, he's just like such a funny person. Because he used to be like this larger, like very queeny guy with a fan like all the time with this fan i mean i think he still had the fan you love carl lagerfeld the person and his own personal backstory but also he he like talked like a vampire like he was like oh i wash my hair my hair is white and i wash it with a special shampoo called chlorine like (laughs) and he had this he has this cat that has it's like a uh like a this like persian cat i think um who has millions of Instagram followers and So he said Mugatu is Mugatu from Zooland. I think might is be like a car is, based, is on, very Carl much based on Carl Lagerfeld. Yeah. Doesn't Mugatu have a hairless cat? Yeah. 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 And <laughs> Does he? Yeah. Or are we thinking of uh I think we're thinking of Ma- Austin Powers. Oh, Doctor Evil <laughs> has a hairless cat? Yeah. Okay, maybe. But let's know. Mugatu had, a <laughs> Mugatu had an assistant who he yeah, has a, a flirtatious exchange with. Yeah, and uh, Karl Lagerfeld, he lost, he got, like, surgery or something. He lost, like, a bunch of weight. Mm-hmm. And then he became, like, super vampire, vampire-ish. And he, like, g- gave this interview to Vogue where it was, he was, he was like, I have one cracker, and then I wash my hair with chlorine, mm-hmm. and then I pet my cat. And I would marry, he said he would marry his cat if he could. <laughs> he, like, he's like, wow. I love my cat. Um, but he really, Chanel was kind of, like, you know fading and he really revived the brand um while still keeping it iconic with like this like he just embellished the suits in a different way yeah Um, i mean it's a fashion house that's over 100 years old yeah so yeah there's this sort of like high collar baby blue ruffle thing which i i i really love um with a black little black little bow little bow on it it's kind of like Victorian, like Victorian nouveau. I love it. Um, that's a do. That's <laughs> a do. That's a do for me. That's a do for me. Yeah. Um, so, oh, Ralph, you, you did just page past. Ralph I did. Loren, so they might not be. Well, I don't know. Right, it started with a necktie. Yeah. Ralph Lauren actually is also like right inspiration for Mugatu, who famously in Zoolander invented the piano key necktie. Because Ralph Lauren started with a necktie. Um, his also wide and in a college style. Oh, spiked on whites here. Hey, oh, we're we're just going right. through some going designers, through designers and talking about what they're known for. But uh, yeah, Preston, if you want to go live with us and tell us anything about fashion, because you're the expert, the real expert. 
be our guest yes. anytime. It's Preston from Masks of Masculinity. Yeah. His podcast about masculinity. And masks. <laughs> Mostly masks. <laughs> um, yeah, we were just finishing up, I guess, going paging through our designers. Our right? designer oh, there he is. Yeah. We'll go. We'll go live. I was going to talk about, I wear some Ralph Lauren. Underwear? Myself. <laughs> the, well, they're ready to wear a brand called Polo, which you may have heard of. <laughs> Hello! Hello! Hey. Hi! Uh, speaking of the mask of masculinity, I was just on a uh, my weekly men's group meeting with the group that I'm doing that for. Oh, oh cool. that's awesome! Anyone listening out there, uh, they are Detoxifying Masculinity NYC on Facebook. You can find them there. Yes. And we talk about, you know, men opening up their emotions, uh, trying to uh, bring women and non-binary individuals up to the privilege that men have, et cetera, et cetera, all kinds of issues. Uh, and, but interestingly, the title of that podcast, Masks of Masculinity, actually came from a game. <laughs> oh, really? Uh, a tabletop game called Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Yes. H.P. Lovecraft and the Cthulhu mythos. Mm-hmm. And in it, there's a module called The Masks of Nyarlathotep. So, if anyone knows that, that's where I got the name from. <laughs> wow, we I love see. that. That's such a good origin story. But masks, yes, are a type of are definitely a type of fashion. You have like your classic Venetian mask, your opera mask. Uh, more so used in costuming today. It's like we don't really go to like mass balls anymore, except on Halloween, and we just or uh, or sleep sleep no more. I guess sleep no more. <laughs> true. Right. True. And then, interesting thing about that of course is that you're all meant to it, it's a way of distinguishing yourselves from the other actors i mean if someone were to take their mask off and sleep no more and start dancing what would happen then that's such a good point i'm surprised there isn't a youtube video of like improv you know improv, improv everywhere, any, everywhere, everywhere yeah everywhere, whatever like going in and doing their own show in the middle of the <laughs> sleep no more yeah, I'm sure it's <laughs> happened. This is this is jackass. This is take jackass. your <laughs> take your mask off and sleep no more. And sleep no more. <laughs> yeah. Well, some of the things I see those those dancers doing at sleep no more, they're they get into some real acrobatic shit there, like the way they can pin themselves up into to high up places and things. I think if somebody was doing that, they would probably have to call security and be like, we don't know if you're professionally trained yeah. or what, but you need to get down. Get down now, sir, please. You need to, like, spray them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we're so excited to have you to have you back because you came on to our dystopian fiction episode and were so fascinating, told us about dystopian fashion. And now we're just talking about fashion, hot couture, and the... Fashion designers and... We've gone through a lot of history. Yeah. The history of textiles as well, leading into fashion. And we talked about Louis Fourteenth and uh, what uh, Charles Worth. And then you've been going through all the 20th century major fashion houses. So, you should have had Sai come on yet? Because you know his mom worked for Halston. We did not know that. Oh my gosh, he hasn't come on. Yeah, he actually has some of her sketches that she did for him. That she was just like, "I'm gonna throw these out." He's like, "No, mom, I'm gonna let you do that." <laughs> oh wow, that's amazing. Uh, but I think you were talking about things that people are really well known for. Right before yeah. I- yeah, yeah, yeah. We were just kind of going through 
and but you can talk about whatever whatever fashion thing you find most interesting, yeah. whatever you want. If you have a soapbox you'd like to stand on, or a any, fashion any, a fashion runway like you'd like to, to stand on. I, I, I don't really want to get on a soapbox mm. right now, but I can give you some trivia. Yeah. Uh, the line of what you were just talking about. Do you know uh, Jean Valjean? Oh yeah, but we have not we've not like discussed yet. So go ahead. Mm. So she was uh, a, well for, for starters, Longvin, the House of Longvin is the longest running couture house currently in existence. Uh, they are a French brand, and, and to be couture, you actually have to. You can't just call yourself couture. So mm-hmm. let's start with that. You actually have to be given the label by this group, this body of people residing in France. Uh, they have a school and everything that was started very early in the 20th century. And they're the ones who dole out those labels. Same thing as like, you can't call yourself champagne. Yeah. Well, sure. the There's requirements. Unless you're a drag queen, then you can. <laughs> we went through the requirements. You need oh, a, yeah. You need an atelier in yeah. Paris with 15 employees or more. You need two shows per Which, year with 35 that's so designs. so interesting. They're like, you have to, you have to have people working in Paris, which I find so, that's so interesting. But So there's a lot of hoops to jump through to become couture, but there, there are other levels that they've introduced along the way, like demi-couture mm-hmm. and some more minor roles. And they, they give out awards, I believe, to people as well uh, that they think are doing good, good work in fashion. But there's only something like, like six or seven, I think, currently, couturiers actually in the world. Wow. A lot of work to, to keep up. Like Alex was saying, within each of those shows, each of those two shows, you have to have at least, I can't remember if it's 70-something looks or 70-something different pieces, but I think it's That's at least wild. Oh, my goodness. And the stitching, very, they, try to, they try to incorporate embroidery and and beading and all of this stuff and hand stitching. So they try to minimize machines as much as possible. And so it's a lot. That's yeah. Do they like, if you're, if you are using a sewing machine, do they like catch you? Are they like, Oh, this no, 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 no. Because they, uh, that's, they realize that that's a necessity. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are certain things that like certain cuts, the way that things are patterned. Uh, when you're, if you ever bought, uh, uh, patterns to make your clothes with you'll know what I'm talking about but if you have a pattern maker who's in house making sure that all those things are tailored perfectly to the body if a high end client is coming into a couturier they will generally come at, at a minimum three times for a fitting Wow! and then usually more than that if it's something that they expect to wear beyond say one event mm-hmm. <laughs> whoa that's wild my yeah. goodness but going back to Long Van and something that she specifically did, she did a couple of things, and, and I really love her for this. One, she she was the, one of the first couturiers to really look at the, the industry and say, hey, there are a lot of people out there who are copying our designs, and we're not getting paid for it. And there weren't really copyright laws in the way that they exist today. So she said, you know what I'm going to do to make sure that people don't, you know, think back up. So the house would create the design and then they would send basically everything out. They would have the sewers in-house, but to get the fabric, you have to go one place. If you want that fabric dyed, you'd have to go to a different place. If you wanted to have it embroidered, you have to go somewhere else. 
and in doing so, you would have to share your designs with everyone. There would be spies in those other places that they would go to who would rip off the design, sell it to someone else, and then that other person would say, just like long, the Couturier Lanvin, but cheaper. Oh, that's wild. Design. Okay. So Lanvin said, you know what? I have a little bit of money. She married, she married into a, a wealthy family, and she said, I'm actually going to go and buy a dyer. She went and bought a dye factory and staffed it. She went and bought, uh, uh, I think she bought an embroidery house as well. And all these smaller businesses. And so she really vertically integrated the fashion industry. She was one of the first people to actually do that. And thereby, she was able to minimize people from outside being able to steal her her designs that's so cool nice. that's awesome yeah, keeping it in-house for real yeah exactly. yeah you had, to, you had to do it it was, it was a cut for a business then just just as today <laughs> that's what wow oh my goodness well there's so i mean there's tons of knockoffs right like even in, right in new york we can go outside Dab- right now and go get a get a chanel, get a chanel or purse Louis, yeah louis vuitton piece of luggage or go to zara. Z- oh yeah one of the biggest producers of sort of knockoff fashion right now yeah we didn't even get into fast fashion um yeah and like h&m and zara um it's a it's something that i'm i'm very aware of and very conscious of but i know there are people who are better to speak about that than i am because i've i've met those people and had these discussions that start off with like fast fashion is terrible and then they're like yeah certain parts of it are but then here's some good parts and i was like okay you know more about this than I am. Yeah. I do. Uh-huh. I'll leave that to those experts. <laughs> so, did you did you make you made like a fashion? Did you make like a fashion collection for like you like when you were when you were like studying fashion? Um, I did go to Parsons for a. They have a summer program, or I, I guess they would still do it digitally, but it was for specifically for adults who just wanted to sort of get their toes into a, a creative field. I went to the fashion one. It was just a month of very intense every day going in and either we're drawing or we're going out into the uh, garment district here in New York city. And we were, we were getting samples of fabrics or, or what have you, or going through magazines and trying to get ideas. And we did have to create uh, croquis, which it, it, you know what that is. Okay, but explain. Yeah, explain for the... Yeah. So, Hulky is an extremely, extremely rough sketch of a figure wearing some type of outfit. <laughs> Very rough. And then you're supposed to take a croquis and you're supposed to make it bigger, enhance it, make the details finer, and eventually, out of these larger, better images, you get a collection. And... Collection at least needs to, I think by New York standards, I think you have to have at least 12 outfits for like, to make a very small, like, I guess uh, your house, you could say, would be like less than 10 people working in it. Mm -hmm. Between you, from creators all the way through to marketing and PRs sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That's crazy. And you've probably been by those places that are like the wholesale only yes stores and stuff yeah so a lot of those designers end up selling their stuff there in hopes that people walking in off the street 
who want to buy this for their store can see the garment, feel it, decide if they actually want to do this or not. Or those people can go around and do trunk shows, trying to, or um, conventions where they're trying to get buyers and things. And it's a, so the work doesn't just stop at the, at the design phase. It just keeps going and going and going. That's, wow. I didn't know that about the wholesale stores. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, there's some over in uh, East Williamsburg. Some there's some. It just says wholesale only. Also, yeah. like in the the 30s, there's. I mean, it's funny. Yeah. There's like some garment stuff if you go a little further uptown. But then, yeah, in like 30 mm. in the 30s. In there's the garment a lot district? of. Yeah, garment. <laughs> there's garment, but I feel like the garment district is like a slightly further uptown than where most of the wholesale stuff is. Some of it yeah, for that. The Parsons building that I went to. So, interestingly, I went there in 2010, I want to say, and we were supposed to have classes in one building, but because they decided to take over that building for Project Runway, we got shunted across the street. Nice. And this was on 41st Street. And, yeah, I would say the, the garment district sort of is starting to end there because really everything is south of yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And it's just, you'd be surprised at some of the stuff that is in those buildings. I have been inside of buildings where... It's just been completely, completely gutted inside, and you just had this long, long table with a roll of fabric at one end, and then it's just spread out. You have people using these giant mechanical cutters, that's like cutting across like thirty piles of fabric. Oh my god, that's so crazy! Wow, that is so cool. But if you want to talk about wearing masks, you definitely need a mask in those places because all that stuff will get into your lungs, and it's not. Pretty. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the fabric in the air. Like I've dressed, I have dressmaker lungs. Um, and then we, we like mentioned Alexander McQueen, but we know that you are a a, a fan because you did a DJ set about Alexander McQueen. I think right when quarantine started. Um, yeah. Is there anything you want to say about him and his work, or you're like? It's- Hard to think of something that hasn't been said already. And if you love McQueen, I feel like you kind of go down that rabbit hole. Um, I did get to go right before the quarantine to, I think it's the New York Historical Society. It's the, so where the Natural History Museum is, right to the south of that, there's another smaller museum there. And inside of it, they were having a small exhibition for just a few days right before an auction of a bunch of his pieces and I got to go in and I got to see these pieces up close and these were things that were either that were, this woman actually had worked with McQueen and he had gifted her these over the years oh, wow. so these were like straight from the working room items and they were just fascinating to see and more so there's a famous person on Instagram actually uh, if you look if you are interested go to mcqueen underscore vault and his name is john and he is an expert on mcqueen all things mcqueen that that feed is devoted entirely to behind the scenes stuff uh fashion editorials that you might that are kind of rare nowadays and all great wealth of knowledge and i was able to actually meet him and he was just giving me like for some of these dresses just the up and down of what McQueen was thinking at the time. He actually oh, wow. looked at my outfit because, of course, I had to wear McQueen to this. And he was like, 
I had these pants that were samples, uh, so they were never actually went to production. Wow. They're from 1998. Uh, you've probably seen me wearing them at Secret Loft. Mm. The, the big, really baggy pants. Yes! I know those pants. Those are great pants. Oh, okay. So you're wearing and those. He looked at them. He was able to confirm with me, yes, uh, you got those off, off eBay, but yes, those are definitely McQueen. That's great. Uh, oh, my God. Ah, nice. He was like, yeah, McQueen was thinking about going into, going into denim, and these were an ex- example of what he would do, but that never panned out, so... Oh, wow. I might be the only person now who has this this thing in the world. That's so cool. That's, That's very yeah, cool. I love the unique pieces. Yeah. What's, um, what's like one of your, that you can think of, like one of your favorite runway things that you've seen, like either a show like on YouTube or, or like a piece or a moment? To stay with the queen for a moment... I really love his, I think it's, it's very early 2000s. I can't remember the exact year. It was spring, summer, and he called the show because he named all of his shows. He called it Deliverance. Mm-hmm. After the film, they shoot horses, don't they? Uh, and this is actually a film that's set in the 30s, in the 1930s. And he just captured that silhouette so perfectly and if you're a fan of old films the way i am i love going and watching like these old hollywood films from the 30s it was right on point and not only that but the entire show is actually choreographed and i mean actual dance numbers oh yes i love i love that in a in a show um yeah we were looking at some of the um we're looking at i think it was rick owens like his his uh, shows are always like they they culminate in like a group number. They start off as like single parts, and then they like that one had like a together. whole step team almost, yeah. right? And they were doing like all like rhythmic dancing basically, and then yeah, yeah, it was great. But I do remember there was also another one. Uh, and if size watching, he'll love this. Uh, I think I sent it to him. There was a show where the entire soundtrack was this very, very long version of Grace Jones's Corporate Cannibal. Oh, yes! I think it was, I think it was Provenza Schuller, mm-hmm. and it started with basically this badass bitch and her two minions walking down this runway to, these, to this throne, and she just sits up in it, in this, like, power executive suit, and she's just watching all the models come down the runway. That's great. Oh, I love that. That's, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, anything that sort of has that theatricality to it catches my eye more than just a pretty dress. Yeah. Yes, McQueen loved to tell stories. Yeah, which... And it was uh, the robots. The robots, the (laughs) robots. Oh, yeah, with the the dancer. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, uh, Bands of Drag Race will remember season four, they recreated that in the first challenge. And all the queens had to stand on a rotating they, platform. That's right. Oh, my gosh. Now, because we just watched the the, documentary. Ma- the McQueen documentary. But I didn't put that together. And Yeah. Oh, that was so great. I love, yeah, in the documentary, they're like, they're like, he was always talking about the robots. And uh, we thought that he had forgotten about them. But he was determined. <laughs> like, Yeah, then, they, they did look very like cool. I would suggest going looking up more. Of, I don't think she actually did it, but it was inspired by this artist, Rebecca Horn. 
So go and look up some of her work. The specific piece that inspired that robot, it was these two guns that were filled with uh, a die, and they were shooting at each other Mm. from across the room. And it's, it's about the splatters that got onto the ground and sort of thinking about the damage that firearms can actually cause. Oh, oh, wow. That brings a whole other dimension to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, no, there's, there's, there's always layers and layers and layers whenever you start to look at any kind of art, of course, because art is not created in a vacuum, as we, we all know. Mm. Yeah. I, and I sent you, I remember sending you that, uh, Ariel, that image of the shoe designer who had the shoes that you basically couldn't walk in, and I told you they would be great for Ariel. Yes, yeah. And actually, I... Yeah, I, um, I like, I've done pieces with the, like the ballet, the ballet boot, like the, but I have to find, uh, yeah, I have to find more shoes that you can't walk in. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, based on yourself, uh, you just, you know. Yeah, I, I love that. I, I think that's, yeah, I think that, um, sort of, I guess like fetishy stuff is, is always really cool. Like, yeah, like. McQueen, the lobster claw, like take on the yeah, ballet from, boot from Plato's Atlantis. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm like, it's like a platform ballet boot. It's like, it's yeah. Um, the inside of the armadillo shoe is actually fairly comfortable, but the heft of it is weighty. Um, I, I also saw one time the originator of the heelless high heel. Yes, he actually modeled that entire shoe off of a off of a men's shoe because I can't remember why really? the women's shoe work but apparent but they're supposed to be very comfortable. I had a pair that was made by Jeffrey Campbell who yes. was a sort of mid-range designer so they were okay but but yeah I feel like Jeffrey Campbell's like known like that people have attached that that shoe to Jeffrey Campbell. Um yeah when I think heelless heelless shoe. Yeah, I love those. I, I don't know. I love the look of it, too. Like, I just, I like that. I'm not a fan of, like, a pointy, like, I like a, I like a round, like, instep, I think, because it makes it, it makes it look like you have a better, like, toe point, I guess. So I like when the, the instep is really, like, rounded out. Like, all the, the, like, really pointy shoes, I'm like, like, that's like a witch, <laughs> like, which isn't a bad thing. But, like, I mean, like, you know. Like uh, like the like the Wicked Witch of the West kind of just like very flat footed and like you know. <laughs> <laughs> or it makes you, what you, the way you're talking makes me reminds me of um. Did you, did you ever see uh, what's it called the the Thief and the Cobbler? No, I don't think so. No. What? It's a it's a film that took many many years to get completed. Uh, actually, Vincent Price plays the voice of this wizard. I think it's the last thing he was able to do before he died. And the wizard is called Zigzag. And whenever he walks his shoes, they start like regular and then they sort of flatten out and then they just keep rolling. Yes, that's exactly what I think when I see like a really pointy. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, the Wicked Witch. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. yeah. The rolled out socks. The rolled out, those rolled out socks. Mm -hmm. Um, So I get so. You should have thought about that. um so i guess the so if you if you had your own like fashion label which you should 
Uh, what would be your staple piece? Like, what would be the, pre- the, the Preston piece? <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've given a lot of thought to this, and it's one of the reasons why I, I sort of, um, like, making fashion, because I, I, I realize I don't have it in my head to be able to be one of those designers who can crank out, like, 70 pieces every year. But I think those, those McQueen pants, if I could just... Because I, because you know I love to dance. If I, yeah. Could, oh, yeah. If I could just make clothes that look good while you're dancing. Mm. That means, yeah. That look good while you're still a little sweaty, um, while you're twirling about, lots of movement. Oh, yeah. I love that. Yeah, you could make like a a better a better breakaway. You know, if you get too hot or like. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, creating layers, but like layers for summertime or in the club or something. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I love that. And and lots of shimmer and shine. Of course. You got, yeah, you have to. You have to. (laughs) You must. Yeah. Do you have any questions? No, I'm thinking about what break dancers wear, for example, right? But it's a lot of like very baggy clothes because they, I guess, as you like move it, like they kind of flow with you. Yeah. And the the drop crotch, the drop crotch. Yeah, the harem pant. Um, did either of you go to FIT a few years ago where they had the Fashion Meets Dance exhibition? I actually did see that. Yeah, I did. I actually, uh, one of my friends, uh, Jeremy Williams, he is a choreographer, director. He's currently living and working in Mexico um, on shows there. But he uh, produced an event for that where Valerie Steele talked with the current head of the Martha Graham School, and they had a conversation. Whoa! And then we got to see a piece from the Martha, a couple of pieces from the Martha Graham School, where she actually actively thought about the dress as a part of the the dance piece. Yeah. And that was really sort of my introduction of dance and fashion. And ever since then, I've been yes. head of heels. There's um. Oh my gosh, I can't remember. I can't remember the name of this person, but they, you, I think you saw them as well. They're uh, this burlesque performer um, who does a whole piece with, it's to, it's to Bjork, uh, like, what is it? The boy, like, song? Um, Mm -hmm. Venus is a boy. Mm -hmm. And it's, it starts out with this, like, this white scarf, like a, it's, it's like a, I think it's like chiffon or like some sort of very like flowy fabric, but then it it's it's like scarf it's like scarf choreography like I've never seen before. Like it it gets like really big and then like really tiny and like the performer like wraps it in their they kind of handcuff themselves with it and then it's like a dress. It's it's it was like the craziest thing that I've ever yeah that I've ever seen. Um, Is it your in friend who also does the the silk piece with the the body, the the, the puppets. Oh, Elena! It's she would do something like that, but it's not. Um, this is a, a a performer that I've seen like once at the Slipper Room was like visiting from out of town, and then literally the last show that I, I think it was well the last show that I went to uh, mm-hmm. right before it was like the Saturday before quarantine uh, was the. Pearl Noir had like this burlesque extravaganza and and the this performer was like back again. I was like, it's you with that piece. 
and I can't, I cannot. Oh, it was mos Moscato. It was like Moscato. something Moscato. Okay. Um, yeah. Like the wine. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. It was like, it was like red Moscato or something like that. But uh, yeah, so, so good. Um, yeah, fabric is, it's, it is really, it's really fun to like play around mm -hmm. with, 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 with dance and movement. And you have to have an understanding of it. I'm sure you talked about this already, but like so many times people are like, well, this fits differently than this does. And it's really because it's, it's a woven fabric versus a knitted fabric and knitted fabric will stretch where woven won't. And I've seen people try to construct things using one or the other because they're like, oh, this, this fabric feels so good. And look at it, it's so light and airy. And I, I want it to have this, but then you put it on the body on the mannequin they say i want to have this kind of structure and and you're like you can't yeah I can't. <laughs> yeah and if you, if you give it that structure like you can always put like a backing to it mm -hmm. uh, it then it loses that that light and airiness and there are things there are so many little things you don't think about when you're putting on a garment that had to go into the thought process behind making that garment yeah yeah right. um, Really quickly, I will also plug, uh, yes. since I love unique fashions, I would recommend, unfortunately, their site is kind of wonky right now. They were hacked recently, and they'll, hopefully they'll fix it soon. But they, they're called the IOU Project, and IOU is the letters I, O, and U. And they were one of the front runners in the case for fair trade fashion. Oh, wow. And the way they're doing this is through transparency. They're doing it. Uh, each garment comes with a QR code you can scan. And Ooh. you can find out who grew the cotton that is used in the fabric, who dyed that cotton, who wove it together, who designed the style of uh, madras, because their, their thing really is madras. Uh, mm. Most of their production is in. Uh, India mm -hmm. that comes from Europe, and then who cut and sewed the, the garment. So you get all this information about who did these things, so it kind of gets you thinking about the chains that fashion goes through, and they're making sure that each of those people are, of course, paid properly. And here's the thing that makes them unique, is that in the weaving process, when the weavers are done for the day, because these are actually on like hand looms and not on machine looms, you can actually spot in your clothing places where they tied, they knotted. Mm. Oh, wow. And just said, okay, I'm taking a break today. And then the next day they come and start it again. And so you have these little knots in your clothing. I find that really cool. That is so cool. Oh my wow. gosh. Love that. This is so much great information. Um, thank you so much. And if you want to put... If you want to put any links links in the comments, go right ahead. Link away because I'm sure everyone wants the heart, and we'll we'll link you as well and and uh, mention mention your pod. Um, but yeah, this is going to be a pod as well. So mm -hmm. yeah, so yeah. <laughs> um, so pod people, listen listen to um, mass of masculinity as well. Mm -hmm. And I will let you have another guest on. Okay. Thank you so much. Oh, this was amazing. Thank you. Bye. Bye. All right.
So. Well, we'll have to catch up with Sai later. Yes. I guess we didn't we didn't catch him, but we're coming up on the the two hour mark, so we should, should we... probably wind down this fashion show. Okay. Um, let's see. We talked about Vivian Lust Westwood. Yes, we did. Jean Paul Gaultier, love huge huge fan, especially the as sexy ad campaigns too. Yeah, we dropped um, earlier his association with Madonna, his work on the Fifth Element. Yes. Um. Let's see. We we. Anyone else we we really need to get in? We just got oh. a great deep dive on Alexander McQueen. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to say, speaking of sustainable fashion, Stella McCartney, mm-hmm. daughter of Paul McCartney, um, really uh, vegan fashion. Yeah, apparently she went to. Um, she went to. Chloe, I think. Um, and she was like, I will work for you, but like, I will not use animal, I will not use leather. And they were like, okay. And she didn't expect that. Um, cause it, the fat, she, 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 I heard an interview with her and she's like, the fashion industry is built on leather. That's what they don't want you to know. So it was very like weird for her to mm-hmm. say that. Um, it was very, you know, not in vogue for her to say that. Um, and they agreed. Um, I, yeah, I heard an interview with Tommy Hilfiger, which was kind of interesting because he did this, uh, this campaign called the the Hangman campaign, which was like where you had to fill in the blank. It was, it was like, uh, Tommy Hilfiger is better than, and you had to like fill in the blank, but it was, um, like Ralph Lauren, and like all the other sort of like prepster brands. Mm-hmm. Um, and he had this, he had a, this advertising guy tell him that he should do that. And actually originally the advertising guy was like, you should, you should actually write their full name out. And he was like, no, I can't do that. I'm like new to the industry. He, um, he started his business by take, buying jeans from New York city and bringing them upstate um, to like Lake George and like Ithaca and selling them <laughs> there to his friends. And then, you know. Uh, so was, by the way, that campaign and also there's a similar campaign at the same time. Uh, when was this, 80s? Yeah. 70s? Yeah. Probably 80s. Yeah, 80s. But that same uh, advertising guy had him make another like ad that he also was like, no, where it was like, Everyone knows New York's top five fashion designers are, and it was yeah. like Hilfiger, and then same thing like Ralph Lauren and like some other like huge names uh, like or- Armani or something yeah. else, and like and uh, and apparently like Ralph Lauren was like furious, yeah, at the ad because he was like, "Who the fuck the, is this the guy? balls on this Who guy?" Yeah, and so basically, then the fashion press and the media like picked up the backlash because they had to go get quotes from all these like very famous fashion designers who were like, I don't know who the fuck that even is. (laughs) I don't know why my name is on that. He got sued by a bunch of people, but the publicity it generated was like, then made him like a household name basically. So it worked. (laughs) I don't think the other, yeah, designers were happy with him, but it Um, certainly got his name out there. And talking about like bootlegs and stuff, and uh, yeah. getting other designers mad, uh, we can't. Um, oh yeah, the Battle of Versailles. Battle yeah, of Versailles. fashion gossip. It was when a whole bunch of 
fashion designers were like pitted against each other at the Battle of Versailles. Um, nice. So Something we can't, we have to mention Dapper Dapper. Oh, we Dan. didn't even get into Dapper Dan. Oh, yeah. French first American fashion. Um, just Dapper Dan had a store up in Harlem in New York and like was making all these uh, these hip hop like clothing like these leather uh, jackets with like Gucci print all over it or like Louis Vuitton like just blatant like copyright infringement um and uh got sued like a bunch of times but then would always like come back like he was like okay I'm gonna lay low and like people would come to his store in the dead of night and he would like give them you know he'd be Mm -hmm. like okay here you go um and then Sonia Sotomayor the Bronx's yeah. Most famous, yeah, judge. She now on the Supreme Court, like the rule, the case where she was like the judge. Yeah, um, that like super <laughs> shut him down, <laughs> and he he just like would sell clothes out of like his car, like and um, that really, yeah, he was like known in the in the hip hop like community, mm-hmm. um, and kind of a lot of people attribute him to like starting hip sort of. He was the first person to cater to, to hip hop, like mm-hmm. brands, exclu- like exclusive exclusively, because no one else was like going up to buy a bootleg, you know, very gaudy like Louis Vuitton covered jacket. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, there's one more person, right? Oh, yeah. Well, and then you wanted to talk about LL Cool J and the Gap. LL Cool J and the Gap. Ad. Yeah, and Fubu. Okay. Right. So like we'll leave it. Th- we'll leave, we'll it, leave it with our this. Last yeah. Anecdote for you. So, um, FUBU was a, a new brand, uh, and they... You remember FUBU from the late 90s? Yeah, for us, by us. Um, <laughs> and they, they wanted to give a bunch of stuff to, uh, to LL Cool J, and they wanted to take a picture of him, like, wearing the FUBU hat, and he was like, okay, um... Yeah, I'll like work with you a little bit. Like you can give me some stuff. I'll wear it. Um, and he was like, "If you guys ever blow up, which you won't, um, you have to take care of me." And Fubu was like, "Okay, sure." And then the Gap approached LL Cool J to like, I think to they had like some denim campaign or something. Yeah, just do a ca- an ad campaign for them. And he was like, "Yeah, um, but I'm kind of like working with Fubu, so." Like, can I wear a FUBU hat? And the Gap agreed. And he, they wanted him to do a rap for the ad campaign. And he, like, did a freestyle they rap. They write the rap for him. They're like, you no. write it. Yeah. Just about about clothing, about fashion. And he's, do a rap. he was rapping about, like, FUBU. He was like, the Gap is, like, for us, by us. And he was wearing the FUBU hat. And uh, literally, like, everyone on the Gap side of that campaign was fired. Because they were like, <laughs> what? Like, you're giving a... Like a little baby, like streetwear brand. They, they cut the commercial and rolled it out, though. They did, but then they yeah. took it back, and then all these kids started coming to Gap looking for Fubu, but bu- ended up buying some Gap stuff, I guess. Anyway, and they were like, "Well, get the commercial back out." But that is like the first, I think, first and only time a major brand has just like given a free plug to a little company and really. I'm sure it's happened other times, but it is pretty yeah, great. It's they pretty just, amazing. They were no. like, I don't listen to hip hop. I can't really understand what he's saying. So yeah, here's that. Yeah. Like, it's fine. Yeah. 
Yeah, I remember. Yeah, he does a whole little rap about Fubu for us. But yeah, yeah. So there you go. So there's one more thing we have to talk about, though, and that's a fashion that, rave. That's the ultimate fashion show, fashion catwalk. For your, uh, I guess it's the winter 2021 collection. Which will be, what is that, spring? <laughs> Which, I guess, suppose it's really spring 2021 collection. Um, uh, Secret Loss will be presenting our own musical rave fashion show this Ariel, weekend. Ariel musical so, rave. Yeah, we won't, have, we won't have 35 or 70 looks or no. whatever, but we will have well, three to four looks. We're going to be playing some runway. And we'll be playing a ton of runway jams. I'll be playing some classic fashion shows in the background on the green screen. Yeah. Uh, we'll be rocking the latest in designer wear and the latest in hot couture. And the latest, by latest, you also mean like oldest because we're going we're gonna to go back to like the 1800s, 1700s maybe, to, to Paris. Yeah. yeah, we'll have acts inspired by a... By a I guess Coco Chanel, but also Chanel, just, just Dior, Paris, Parisian style. And Marie um, Antoinette, I guess. Yeah, acts inspired by streetwear. We didn't even get into the crossover between yeah. uh, houses of couture and drag because yeah, drag houses and runway shows. You're going to have Voguing, to do a whole other show about that's gonna drag. It's going to have to be a whole other show. Um, yeah, we'll probably just ask some drag queens to host that one. Oh, we could do We could wear drag. Yeah. But uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be referencing that and having songs from there. And then, you know, fashion's taken over all of pop music and pop culture through the years. So yeah. a bunch of like classic pop fashion songs. Yeah. And I'm gonna I'm gonna pull some looks. I'm gonna move some fabric in the air for you. Yeah. Um and it's gonna be Saturday night, nine PM. Two eleven. On these same channels wherever you're watching now. Although if you're watching on Instagram, you should you watch the rave us. on Twitch. You should watch the rave on Twitch. And if you're listening to this as a podcast, you, you should, should watch the rave watch on Twitch. The rave on Twitch. Twitch.tv slash Secret Loft. And uh, we'll see you there. I'm going to have a chat room going on the Twitch, too. Oh, yeah. Uh, so you can comment on the, the fashion do's and don'ts of the runway models behind me as well. And you can see our looks, and we can talk about it. Yeah, we can talk about it. Tell, about tell it. me who Give you're me wearing, darling. Wearing. Oh, I'll my God. A, I'll have a naked lip. A, n- a naked n- lip. A nude lip. I love that. Um... Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. We'll be back talking next week about magic.